Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast for Hope City Church. We pray the word of God leaves you encouraged and hopeful today. Open with me to Psalm chapter 23. This psalm has been just um, an incredible source of strength and hope and comfort and uh, encouragement at some of the most difficult times in the lives of God's people for thousands of years. Um, And particularly sometimes in those difficult times. In fact, many people associate this psalm with funerals, because it's so frequently read at funerals to comfort those who are going through the process of mourning. Psalm 23 is perhaps the most famous and beloved psalm in the entire book of Psalms. In fact, I would say it's one of the most well-known and cherished passages in all of Scripture. People who don't know anything about Scripture tend to know at least some of Psalm 23. And some would argue that it's probably the best love poem in all of literature. And so it's a bit of a daunting task to approach this psalm. Uh, I I never approach the scriptures lightly, but I was um, telling somebody earlier that um, I come to this one with a, I don't know, there was an extra little something this week because I understand the precious place that this psalm holds and has held in the hearts and lives of so many of God's people. Um, Entire books, in fact, volumes, libraries of books have been written on these six verses. Every word and phrase has been dissected, every image has been explored, and yet seemingly not exhausted. There is a wealth of content packed into six verses here. So what is it about this psalm that has provided such comfort and strength and hope and encouragement to generations of God's people throughout redemptive history. Well, let's just read it for ourselves and dive in. Amen? Amen. Psalm chapter 23, beginning in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father God, we thank you for this psalm. And we ask that you would come now and enlighten us to the truth that's packed in this precious piece of scripture. Teach us, lead us, guide us, and Lord, I pray especially that this morning you would comfort and encourage us in your word. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen, amen. Okay, a lot of content here, okay? I have more pages of notes on these six verses than I've had in like 30 verses, <laughs> okay? So we gotta dive in, and I'm, I tend to talk fast. You guys already know that uh, about me if you've heard me teach more than once. I'm gonna try not to do that. No, that's a lie. I'm gonna do that. <laughs> and uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do that. But I, So listen fast, okay? But what I wanna do is I just, I just wanna... I just want to see God encourage your heart this morning. This psalm is beautiful. It's beautiful. At the header of the psalm, we're told that this is a psalm of David. And this would be King David, okay? The second king of Israel. 
He's known as the great warrior poet, the mighty man of God, the man after God's own heart. And every king after him was said to sit on the throne of David. He's the same one who in his youth struck down the armies of the Philistines by defeating Goliath. And yet, long before he was king, he was just little David, the son of Jesse, the youngest of eight sons from a little out-of-the-way, nowhere town called Bethlehem, nothing particularly noteworthy or significant about him. There was a prophet named Samuel, and God told him that he was to go and anoint the new king, that God had rejected Saul as king and that God had appointed a new king. And he said that new king was going to be a son of Jesse. Jesse had eight sons. And so when Samuel went to Jesse and said, I want you to bring your sons before me, they didn't even bring David. He was overlooked. And so when seven sons had passed before Samuel and God had not chosen any of them, he asked Jesse, are all of your sons here? And Jesse says, well, I have one more, my youngest, but he's out keeping the sheep. And so we lesson first Samuel. And so we learn from that passage that David was the keeper of his father's sheep. He was a shepherd boy. No doubt spent weeks and months and years out in the fields tending to and caring for the sheep. And so David, though he became this great and mighty king, David was very acquainted with sheep and what it meant to be a good shepherd. And so in this Psalm 23, the Holy Spirit has led David to draw upon his experience, that experience as a shepherd, and to picture the Lord as his shepherd, and picture himself then as a sheep in God's care. And so the Psalm invites us to do the same thing. Verse one, David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. We know from the New Testament, we have the benefit of having the New Testament now, and we know um, that this shepherd has a name. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So I don't want to damage our fragile egos uh, this morning, but we are compared to sheep here, okay? Now that may or may not be the most flattering comparison you've ever had uh, in your life. Let me, let me ask you a couple of, I always do this when I kind of teach on this stuff, but it's because it's fun to do. What is a sheep's natural defense mechanism? Follow the Okay. Is it their razor sharp teeth? Okay. Is it the sheep's lightning speed? Uh, is it their quick wit? Is it their amazing intelligence? No, no. Is it their hard outer shells? That must be it. No, no. <laughs> Sheep are virtually defenseless. Right? And we learn uh, other things about sheep from those who have tended them. Sheep are not always the smartest creatures in all of creation. They tend to be followers. They can be stubborn, prone to wander. Sound like anyone? <laughs> When we look at it, it's actually a pretty good comparison, right? Sheep uh, have all these things kind of against them. And because of these things, David understood that a sheep's lot in life was almost entirely dependent on what kind of shepherd it has, right? And there's basically three scenarios that a sheep could find itself in. It could be a sheep that has no shepherd, right? What do you call a sheep without a shepherd? Lunch. Lunch. <laughs> Lunch. Absolutely. All right. Jesus looked out over the multitudes of people, and it says he was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep who had no shepherd, is what the scripture tells us. So you could be a sheep without a shepherd, or, and maybe worse off, you could be a sheep with a bad shepherd. And the scripture 
gives us examples, contrasts the difference between good and bad shepherds in Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34, a couple places where it does that. It tells us that bad shepherds care only for themselves and they don't care for the sheep and they don't feed those who are hungry or strengthen the weak or help the sick or bind up the injured. They don't go after strays or search for the lost and they rule their sheep harshly. That's what bad shepherds do. So you could be a sheep that has no shepherd. You could be a sheep with an awful shepherd or... You could have a good shepherd. And David understood this. He understood that we, like sheep, our lot in life and eternity depends on who our shepherd is. And so I want us to not miss David's absolute pride and joy and gratitude as he declares the Lord is my shepherd. I am not a sheep without a shepherd, and I am not a sheep with a bad shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And then he makes this statement. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, and in the same sentence, I shall not want. So what does that mean? So it certainly means I have no lack. I'm lacking nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, so I'm lacking nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm in need of nothing. I have all that I need. So this certainly speaks of provision, that the, the shepherd will provide. Your shepherd will provide all that you need, as we will see. But it also carries the idea of contentment. So the message paraphrase puts it this way. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't need a thing. Or the New Living Translation would say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. It's contentment. It's saying, because I have the Lord, I have all that I need, and I don't desire anything else than what the shepherd provides for me. I have a great shepherd, and that's all I need, and that's all I want. Remember, we opened this series weeks ago with Psalm chapter 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you, and on earth there is none that I desire besides you. We don't have to live in the constant want of something more or better. Our shepherd is the more. He is the better. And it's the presence of our shepherd that brings true contentment in all circumstances. So we're going to see these are not sheep who never go through trials. These are sheep who have a good shepherd and his presence brings absolute contentment. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then David goes on to list just some of the glorious benefits of belonging to the good shepherd. And what I want to do, did you guys get notes? What I want to do, what I've done here, is I've personalized this list for you. I almost made the points this way. I almost made the points, number one, your shepherd, da 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 And I decided, no, I'm not going to do that. I felt the need to really personalize this so that you would kind of first person take ownership of this. And when you maybe go back to these notes at some point, if you hang on to them, you go back and you read and you personalize it and you read my shepherd. Because that's what David says. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. It's a very personal thing. Your shepherd's care for you is very personal. Yes, he may have a lot of sheep, but he cares for you personally. And so I personalized this list that David gives us. And so each point is written in the first person. We've covered verse one. We have five verses left. Five verses, 10 things. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, my shepherd will give me rest. My shepherd will give me rest. Look at verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down. You ever had God make you lie down? He makes me lie down. Um, one of the books that I love, uh, out of the volumes of books that have been written about, this is a, a great book, I actually brought it with me this morning. It's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And it's written by a guy named Philip Keller, who was actually a shepherd for years. He owned and cared for and tended to flocks of sheep. And he took his perspective as a shepherd and 
and brought the insights he has as a shepherd to Psalm 23. He says, I feel like because I was a shepherd, I understand a lot of what David, exactly what David was talking about in Psalm 23. And so a lot of the imagery here, he fleshes out. I was reading that book again this week. It's a really small book. You can read it just in an afternoon, a couple hours. But he writes this about this idea of being made to lie down. He makes me lie down. He says this, the strange thing about sheep is that because of their very makeup, it's almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. They must be free from fear, free from friction with others in the flock, free from the aggravations of flies and parasites, and free from hunger. I just thought about that. I thought, man, those are all the things that kind of keep us from rest, aren't they? Right? Fear. What are you afraid of? It keeps you up at night. It keeps you from resting. It keeps you from resting even when you're resting. Because your mind's going. What are you afraid of? So you don't get the rest you need. Friction with others. Conflict. Tension. It stresses you out and robs you of rest. The little aggravation. The little flies. The little stuff. You know it's not a deal breaker, but it just drives you nuts, right? And it just robs you of rest. What is it? Is it hunger? Is it your basic needs? Is it, I don't know if rent's going to be paid. I don't know if we're going to be able to eat. It's our basic necessities. And so these things steal our sleep and they rob us of rest. And then maybe there's other things. So I think like one of the major enemies of our spiritual strength and vitality is just the, the absolute enemy of busyness. We're just so busy. Sometimes we're not even busy doing bad things. We're busy doing good things and we burn ourselves out. We're just doing too much. We've got too much on our plate. We don't know how to rest. We don't know how to take a day of rest. We don't know how to rest throughout our day. We go like hamsters in a wheel from sunup till sundown. From the time we wake up, we wake up with stress on our mind. We spend our day with all this stuff going on and we're busy, busy doing this and doing that and running here and running there. Maybe not always bad things, maybe just stuff. And, and our lives are packed and they're so busy and we can't stop. I can't stop. I can't rest. I can't take an hour and pray. I can't even take a half an hour. I can't take 20 minutes and pray. I can't just sit at the park. I can't just do what we talked about last week. Let's go, let's go take a hike and sit on a rock and watch the birds and listen to the creek. I can't, I can't just do that. I'm too busy for that. So we're too busy for rest and so we have no spiritual strength because we're just going and going and going makes us restless. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, it's not in your notes, but write it down. It's a great verse. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus, the good shepherd, says this to you. If that's your situation right now, listen to these words. This is Jesus' words to you and to me. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Your shepherd wants to give you rest. He wants to make you lie down sometimes. To be still and know that he is God. And that if you stop spinning the plates, the world isn't going to fall apart. He's got it under control. You can stop and play with the kids. You can take a day off. You can be lazy by the lake. Yeah. <laughs> Number two, my shepherd will provide for me. My shepherd will provide for me. Verse two finishes this way. He makes me lie down where? In green pastures. In green pastures. The shepherd feeds his sheep. He leads them to provision. A green pasture for a sheep represents food, represents provision. It represents, I'm going to eat today, and I'm going to eat well, because my shepherd has led me to an abundant, lush, green, rich pasture to feed on. That's the image being given here. I'm not like one of those sheep that is, that is in this arid desert. I am a sheep with a shepherd who led me to a green pasture. God will feed you. God will take care of your basic needs. Our, our family has had plenty. We've had seasons where we've had plenty, way, way more than we need. And we've had seasons where we've maybe suffered lack 
and our minds. And yet, every one of our basic needs has always been met. I, I, I've had moments where, where I did not know how we were going to pay rent. Where I did not know how the bills were going to get paid. I did not know how we were going to put diapers on the kids and food on the table. Okay? We can probably all relate to that. Seasons where I don't know where it's coming from. But I know who it's coming from. Because my shepherd will somehow, in some way, provide for me. And he always has. Maybe not always the quantity that I want, right? Maybe not always the, the, uh, you know, the amount I want and on my timeline. But I'm still here. And I still have some pounds to lose because God's provision has been abundant. <laughs> right? That is faithful. He's faithful. So, your shepherd will provide for you. Number three, personalize this. My shepherd will satisfy me. My shepherd will satisfy me. Look at verse two again. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And look at this next phrase. He leads me beside still waters. Now, now what is that? There's obviously an element of peace there. There's undisturbed water. So there's peace there. I almost kind of went there. But when you actually look at this from a shepherd's perspective, something pops out to you. And again, our, 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 um, this book here really helped draw things out from a shepherd's perspective. So Philip Keller writes this. When sheep are thirsty, they become restless and they set out in search of water to satisfy their thirst. And if they're not led to the good water supplies of clean, pure water, they will often end up drinking from the polluted potholes where they pick up such internal parasites as nematodes and liver flukes and other disease germs. Sounds like fun. So the image of still waters is of good, clean, pure waters to drink from. Fishing. Fishing. <laughs> it's, it's of waters that will truly satisfy the sheep. Waters that are unpolluted, undisturbed. But isn't that a picture of so many of us? And so we're running around and we're drinking from these polluted wells, trying to satisfy a thirst that only God can quench. And so we think, oh, okay, I feel this thirst in me. I don't know how to describe it, but I just feel like there's a something, there's something more. And so I think it'll satisfy, this will satisfy me. And we drink from it and, oh, it's maybe good at first and tasty. And then all of a sudden, hang on a second, I picked up something ugly from that. And let me drink from this polluted well and this poison pool. And let me just go here and there. And I'm drinking from everywhere trying to satisfy a thirst that only Christ can satisfy. John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14 Jesus is having a conversation with a woman at a well, a woman who has attempted to satisfy that thirst in her soul with everything else, and mainly with relationships. And they're sitting at a well, and so Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And in chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus says to all, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He says, let him come to me and drink. Are you thirsty? Jesus said, come to me. I will give you living water that will satisfy your thirst for eternity. So stop drinking from poisoned and polluted wells. The shepherd wants to satisfy you truly with living water from his presence. Number four, my shepherd will restore me. My shepherd will restore me. Look at verse three. He restores my soul. Says, the Lord is my shepherd and he restores my soul. Every follower of Jesus will go through seasons of trial and struggle and dryness. 
where you feel sapped maybe of all spiritual strength and energy. Maybe you're in that now. Maybe you feel dead and dry. You need to know that God wants to renew and refresh you. He wants to renew and refresh you. Maybe you're dry, or maybe you're like a sheep that is, they call it, when, when a sheep falls over on its back and can't get up, it's kind of just sitting there struggling, right? It's dependent on the shepherd. Right? That's, my, that's my image of a sheep falling over. <laughs> that's it. There it is. And it can't get up. The sheep can't do it. They're in this lush green field. Why, why? And then the shepherd led me to this big old puffy green grass, right? So now I've fallen over in it, and I can't get up. <laughs> Right? And they call that a cast sheep. In Psalm 42, David writes, Why are you cast down, my soul? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my... He's my help. He's my helper when I'm cast down. So maybe, just like a cast sheep, maybe you've fallen, and you're not sure if you can be put back up on your feet again. Maybe you've fallen into sin and stumbled and you're on your back. Spiritual progress has been lost or abandoned. You're not even trying anymore. You've struggled to kind of, and you just go, I can't be put right again. You need to know that if the Lord is your shepherd, he will restore you. He will restore you. Amen. We're going to look at Psalm 51. Maybe next week there's this beautiful psalm of repentance where David has sinned and he's repenting. He's just confessing his sin to the Lord and repenting of his sin before the Lord. And in that beautiful prayer of repentance, David says this, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Give me joy again, God. I've fallen and I have been cast down. But God, you are my good shepherd and I believe that you will restore my soul and restore to me the joy of my salvation. That's the shepherd that you serve. That's the shepherd that you follow. He wants to restore you. So whether you're just spiritually dry and need to be refreshed and renewed and restored or whether you've fallen in sin and don't know if you can be put right again, you need to know that your shepherd will restore you. Amen? Yes. Number five, my shepherd will lead me. My shepherd will lead me. Look at the second part of verse three. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's helpful to remember that shepherds don't just kind of sit in the same field all year and just chill with the sheep, right? They lead them. They lead them out from the home ranch into green pastures, along still waters, up through the mountain valleys to the high tablelands of summer. They lead their sheep. It's a journey. And they know the way. They know the dangers of every path and they go before the sheep and they bring them to where they need to be. So the shepherd leads his sheep and sheep follow their shepherd. This is the primary difference between those who just say I'm a Christian and those who are actually Christians. There's a, there's a difference between believing in God and following God. There's a big difference between I believe in Jesus and I'm following Jesus. A big difference. And your shepherd wants to lead you. He wants to lead you. And it says here, he wants to lead you in paths of righteousness. Righteousness means right standing with God. He wants to lead you in the path that has you in right standing with God the God that created you, the God that created all things and cares for all things. Jesus wants to lead you. And remember Psalm 1, when we talked about Psalm 1, and it says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That is, the Lord knows the way that leads to blessing and fruitfulness and prosperity. That's the way of the righteous. He says he wants to lead you in paths of righteousness. If you'll only trust and follow him, 
And why does he do that? I'm glad you asked, because it's right here in this verse, okay? <laughs> he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For, wait a second. Wait a You mean to tell me that God does all of this for me, but not ultimately for me? He does it for himself, like he does it for his name's sake? God is all about God? Yes, God is all about God. <laughs> Who else would you have him be all about? If there were someone else that God was to look to as greater than himself, then he's not God. So God is absolutely God-centered. And everything he does is for the glory of his name. For God to be self-centered is not bad because there's no higher, greater good than God himself. For me to be self-centered is real bad. <laughs> and we have to understand the difference because a lot of our accusations against God come from these things where we go, oh, if God did this and he's, that we make him a person, just a person. God wants to lead you and he wants to lead you in paths of righteousness and he wants to do all of this. He wants to give you rest and provide for you and satisfy you and restore you and lead you and everything else we're gonna talk about for the glory of his name. Now, why is that great news? Because that's great news. It's great, it's amazing news. It means that he has bound up the glory of his name, the reputation of his name and how he faithfully cares for you. He says, I do all of this so that my name will be glorified in all the nations, so that all will know that I am the true God who satisfies and provides and leads and cares for his sheep. He has bound the glory of his name up in his tender care of his sheep. So that is great news. His, the reputation of his name is bound up in, let me make this personal, in faithfully providing for you. He will show himself to be faithful because it is who he is. Because his name his reputation depends on it, are bound up in it. Number six, my shepherd will calm my fear. My shepherd will calm my fear. Look at verse four, because we're going to take a turn here in verse four, and it says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Do you notice the change here from the third person to the second person pronoun? So in verse three, it was saying, he was saying, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then we get to verse four and we encounter this dark valley. And he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Now he's not saying he does this for me. He's saying, you, God, are with me. So he's changed. He's changed the from the third person to the second person pronoun. Here's what I want to get at. What is it about valleys that cause us to start talking to God instead of just talking about him? And no valley is so dark as the valley of the shadow of death. The shadow of death looms large over everyone. And for many, even many Christians, this valley, this shadow, is the one that we tend to fear the most. But look at what David writes here. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even in the darkest, scariest moments of my life, the darkest, scariest valleys, even the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Not, you know... I'll be free of the fear of most things. He doesn't say that. I'll fear some evil. 
look at this as strong language. He's intending to, it to be strong language. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear nothing. I fear nothing. Why? Because you're with me. Because you're with me. It's not the absence of danger that removes our fear. It's the presence of our shepherd. Does that make sense? We think, I'll stop being afraid when all my causes for fear, when all the dangers are removed from me. Then I'll stop being afraid. And that's not what scripture says. It says, it says even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I still will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. It's not the absence of danger. It's the presence of Christ that removes our fear. God is love. And scripture says that perfect love casts out all fear. We don't have to wait for circumstances to change to start living fearlessly. Danger may be all around you. <laughs> I know it may, maybe not what you want to hear. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's what you want to hear. But danger may be all around you. There may be all kinds of dangers in your life. What causes a Christian to leave the comfort of America and go to work in the Middle East in hotbeds of terrorism preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? Only those who know I do not have to fear any evil, for the Lord is with me. That I can walk all around in this valley of the shadow of death because he is with me. So danger may be all around you. You may be walking in death's shadow, but even then you don't have to be afraid because the presence of the good shepherd is with you. The good news is not that you'll never walk through a dark valley, but that when you walk through dark valleys, you don't walk alone. How many people quit on Christianity because they go, oh, it didn't work? What does that even mean? I tried it and it didn't work. What was it supposed to do for you? Because I'll tell you what it will do. It will bring you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It will bring you from death to life and it will secure your eternal soul. But what did you, you quit in this life? Why? Because you thought that following Jesus meant everything nice comes your way now? And you never have to walk through a dark valley again? Where's that in the scripture? The good news is not that you don't walk through the dark valleys. We walk through dark valleys too. But we walk with a good shepherd. And so we don't have to be afraid of any evil. Just the puppy saying amen. <laughs> Let me, let me say one more thing about this before we go. The most fearless sheep are those who walk closest to the shepherd. Okay? The most fearless sheep are those who walk closest to the shepherd. So if you're walking in fear, I just recommend walking closer to the shepherd. Just draw near to him. Just get closer and closer to the shepherd of your soul and let his presence drive away all of your fear. Number seven, my shepherd will protect and correct me. This is a bonus. You get two in this one, okay? My shepherd will protect and correct me. You're like, uh-oh, just skip this point. Let's go to the next one. I like the protection part and I like the correction part. Okay, look at this. Verse four again, okay, it says this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff. Now, shepherds carried a, a rod and a staff. What's the staff? It's the typical thing that you think of when you think of a shepherd, like the big shepherd's crook. 
right? The big like hooky stick that they carried. That's my best description, the big hooky stick, okay? You take the big hooky stick and they, so the, so the sheep start kind of wandering off the path into danger. The shepherd lovingly just kind of gets that little shepherd's crook around their neck and draws them right back into the fold. Start wandering into, you know, wolf territory. Ah, but, 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 come on back, right? Okay? So there's guidance. This is drawing you back in closer. Okay, come in here, closer to the shepherd, right? Stay safe. That's the staff. What is the rod? Basically a big wooden stick. It's a thumper. It's a thwacker, okay? It's meant for thwacking things. That's my technical description of the rod, okay? And mostly for protection against wild animals. And so I hope you know that sheep are not... Uh, Dangerless, they 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 face danger because of their because of their tremendous lack of uh, you know natural defense mechanisms like we discussed earlier. They are wonderful prey for things like wolves and bears and cougars. Okay, who would just love a tasty little fluffy sheep for lunch? And so a good shepherd will carry a staff to. Draw the sheep back in when they wander into danger, and will carry a rod to crack the heads of any creature that tries to eat his sheep. A good shepherd protects his sheep. Not that they never encounter danger or struggle or harm or never get injured. The shepherd's watching out for them and will not let them be destroyed. Verse 5. Look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Picture a sheep, okay, enjoying a meal, even though a cougar is prowling around the perimeter. Picture a sheep laying down in his green pasture, eating peacefully. Remember, they won't lay down unless they're free from fear. And even though the cougars prowl in the perimeter, he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so you've prepared a table for me, even in the presence of my enemies. I have no fear. I have no fear. I'm not afraid of enemy attacks. Why? Because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. My shepherd's not a softy. Maybe towards me, but try to attack me and watch what happens. Scripture tells us that our enemy, our adversary, it says the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That is Scripture. And you need to know that your shepherd is watching over you to protect you from the attacks of the enemy. That's why he carries a rod. Remember Psalm 2? You will rule the nations with a rod of iron. I love uh, C.S. Lewis's book in the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where, you know, uh, Jesus is portrayed as Aslan the Lion. And they're they're talking about Aslan the Lion, they're asking about it. The children have never met him, and they, they said, is he safe? And I think it was Mr. Beaver, or Mrs. Beaver, one of the two. If you don't know what I'm talking about, this sounds like crazy to you, but if you know the book, right? They go, children say, is he safe? And the answer was, is he, is he safe? He's a lion. Of course he's not safe, but he's good. We need to hold that picture of our God. We need to hold that picture of our shepherd. He's so good to his sheep. He's so devastatingly terrifying to our enemy. So, The rod is for protecting the sheep. But the rod is also for correcting the sheep. So we like the part where God protects us from external forces, right? We like when he busts out his rod, he whacks our enemy over the head and protects us from external forces. But a good and loving shepherd will protect us from even ourselves, won't he? When he protects us, it's for our good. And when he corrects us, it's also for our good. 
When we wander off the path, he gently pulls us back with his staff. And when we insist on wandering and drinking from polluted pools and, and poisoned wells, he will get our attention with his rod of correction. And this is good. This is love. This, Psalm 23 says, should comfort us. Hebrews says, when you're corrected by God, rejoice. It's proof that you're his kid. Because every parent who loves their kid corrects their kid. For their kid's good. So I've been on uh, that end of God's rod of correction more times than I care to count. And yet it's never fun. It's never pleasant. And yet I always feel more secure and comforted and loved in the fact that I'm his child after he's corrected me. I know that if I were, that I, would, I could sin without conscience. I could just go and I could do whatever and I would never, I used to do this all the time. I used to just go and live however and sin and do whatever I wanted to do and never have any struggle with that, never have any correction that I felt or that I allowed myself to feel. I had a conscience that was just seared to those things and now the sensitivity that I have by the Holy Spirit when I sin, God comes and corrects me and love, he convicts me of sin. His rod of correction is always held by a hand of love. So your good shepherd will protect and correct you. Number eight, I've got, got to wrap. My shepherd will anoint me. My shepherd will anoint me. Verse five, it says this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now this was a tricky one to kind of uh, dive into because there's so many ways that this could have flown. But, but uh, a commentator, William McDonald, uh, had this helpful comment, and then we're going to see more from uh, Philip Keller's book here too, but William McDonald writes this, shepherds anoint the heads of their sheep to soothe the scratches and wounds. They anoint the heads of their sheep to soothe the scratches and wounds. Philip Keller explains that sheep are often plagued by just the constant aggravation of these tiny flies and gnats, and sometimes these flies and gnats always are trying to fly in their, their nostrils, and sometimes they get in there and they lay eggs that hatch and work their way up into the sheep's head and they burrow into the flesh, causing intense irritation and inflammation. And the only way to treat that or prevent that is for a shepherd to apply an ointment to the sheep's head and nose and face to keep that from happening. So shepherds anoint their sheep. He also goes on to explain that sheep also face the dangers of getting what is called scab. And that's an irritating and highly contagious disease caused by microscopic parasites that spreads throughout the flock, usually by contact. Sheep's, sheep's, sheep? <laughs> sheep uh, are very affectionate, tend to be very affectionate. And they, one of the ways that they show affection is by rubbing their heads together. And so if one gets scab and it's on their head, they, they spread that by that little contact. And so they love on each other and they spread this wonderfully infectious, contagious disease throughout the flock. And again, like with the flies, the only effective antidote to this is to apply that same ointment to the head, to anoint the head with oil. It brings healing. And so there are certainly other dimensions to the meaning of anointing in the scriptures. Okay, I don't mean to bypass or ignore those. Things like the idea of anointing speaks of being chosen for a work, consecrated to the work of the ministry, speaks of being empowered by God, and you have an anointing, speaks of being taught by the Holy Spirit. Scripture speaks of the anointing of God in so many different um, and beautiful aspects, but I think the context here, namely a shepherd and his sheep, helps us to focus on the aspect that David probably had in mind and that is the soothing and healing of our wounds. I, I think this is both figuratively and literally. As we go through life, we, we get wounded, don't we? Yeah. We encounter irritations. 
We get scratched up. We get beat up by ourselves, by other people, by circumstances, by particularly difficult stretches along the journey. And this psalm pictures a shepherd. Listen. This psalm shows us a shepherd who cares for the wounded. Who sees them. Who actually is actively looking for those who may be wounded and hurt and scratched up and who tenderly kneels down and anoints their head with oil, caring for and soothing and healing their wounds. With, we, we need to know that God cares about our wounds. That God sees our wounds he cares for our wounds. He wants to soothe and restore and anoint us with the healing presence of the Holy Spirit, whatever our wounds may be. David looks at this kind of tender care and he cries out, my cup overflows. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Number nine, my shepherd will pursue me. My shepherd will pursue me. Verse six, look at this beautiful crescendo to this song. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Follow here doesn't mean up, lagging behind me at a distance. Mercy and goodness, they're, they're lagging behind me somewhere. I hope they catch up. They're following me. They're trailing a bit behind. I hope that God's goodness and mercy catch up to me. That's not what's being pictured here. The image is not of them like, it's of them pursuing us. The goodness and mercy of God actively pursuing us. This is all out active pursuit. Like sheep, we are prone to wander. What is the hymn? Prone to wander, Lord. I, I know, I know I am so prone to wander. It says we're prone to wander. And so the scriptures picture Jesus as a shepherd who searches out and actively pursues lost sheep and wounded sheep and wandering sheep and sick sheep. He pursues us. Scripture says, I'll leave the 99 and go after the one. That's what he says. I'm the shepherd who leaves the 99 just to come after you. Just to come after you. And he finds them and he draws them in and lovingly cares for them. You need to know that the goodness and mercy of, you may be running, you may be wandering the goodness and mercy of God are pursuing you even now. Stop running. Number 10. My shepherd will care for me forever. My shepherd will care for me forever. Verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, forever. We don't often think about forever, do we? I used to do this analogy. I picked it up, I think, from probably Francis Chan, where I almost did it this morning, where, where you know, I brought a rope, and I imagine that this rope goes off into eternity. You ever seen that analogy? It's a great one, right? And the little tiny end of that rope is taped, and and, and, he, and he just says, picture this rope is like a timeline of eternity. And picture this rope going on and on into the universe and circling around every planet billions of times and going off into forever and never ending. That is time that never ends. That is eternity. And he says, this little section here is where we just spend all of our time focusing on. This little teeny tiny spot. We go, I'm going to work really hard right here and save up so that this part really rocks. And retire me. And then we're like, live in an RV and go travel the world. That would be awesome. And we ignore that there's this moment where we take our last breath here and our first in the presence of our creator and there's eternity before us. 
And we go, oh, you know, people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. And I think the scriptures would say, unless you're heavenly minded, you can be no earthly good. Unless you are fixated on eternity, you will not know how to spend the present properly. We live each day, as believers, we should live each day in light of forever. That's why Paul could say, even in his perspective on his sufferings and his struggles, Paul had been beaten with rods and shipwrecked and stoned and, and, and not like, you know, but just stones thrown at him, you know. All kinds of things he'd been through. And he says this, I consider that our light and momentary affliction is not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed. Light and momentary You can only see your trials and struggles that way, especially if they've lasted years. Maybe they've lasted your lifetime. Even if you struggled and had trials every day of your life here, what is that compared to the eternity of joy ahead of the child of God? And so he says, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want you to see this. This psalm just told us that your good shepherd will care for you all the days of your life. That's verse six. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Through your death, verse four, through the valley of the shadow of death and throughout eternity. Back to verse six, forever. Your good shepherd will tenderly love and care for you all the days of your life through your death and throughout Every peak and valley. This is why this psalm brings such comfort. David is saying that he has joy in life, fearlessness in the face of death, and security for eternity, all because the Lord is his shepherd. Is the Lord your shepherd? Because this psalm is beautiful and personal and yours if you can say like David, the Lord is my shepherd. So is he your shepherd? Jesus said in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Do you hear his voice? Do you listen to his words? Does he know you? Not just know about you because he created you and he knows that. Does he know a relationship with you? You go, well, God created me. He knows all about me. Yes, and yet in, in the Gospels, he says to some, depart from me, I never knew you. So does he know you like that? Does he know you in relationship? Do you hear his voice? Do you hear his words? Does he know you? And do you follow him? says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. That's what my sheep are like. If so, then every precious promise here belongs to you. If the Lord is your shepherd, then Psalm 23 is your psalm. Amen? And if not, then I invite you to stop wandering this morning. Stop following shepherds that are leading you to destruction. Stop drinking from polluted wells, trying to satisfy a thirst that only he can quench. Draw near to the good shepherd, to Jesus. Listen to his voice and know him and follow him. Psalm 23 says he will give you rest He will provide for you. He will satisfy you and restore you and lead you. He will calm all of your fears and he will protect you and anoint you and pursue you and care for you all the days of your life through your death and throughout all eternity. And he will do it all for the glory of his name. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I thank you for this 
precious psalm and the promise of this precious psalm. Lord, I thank you that you lead and guide and provide and care for and correct and soothe and heal and restore. And God, I thank you that you do it all for the glory of your name. And I pray, God, if there be any here this morning that do not know what it's like to be a little sheep just safe under your care, I pray, God, that you would draw them in right now by your grace and in your goodness. Father God, that you would meet us right where we're at and draw us in and make us your own for the glory of your name.